Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hey, this is Kion Wolf. I'm here with Betsy Kaplan in your podcast feed saying thanks for tuning in, first of all. And please keep this podcast going by calling 1-800-584-2788 or by going to wnpr.org slash donate. That's the place where you become a member or you renew your membership. And most importantly, you keep us going. And we can't do this without you. Kion and I, along with the, the rest of our team, put on the Colin McEnroe show every day of the week for you because we love to do this for you and we love the show as well. So give us a call, 1-800-584-2788, or go online at WNPR.org. Enjoy the show. Hi, uh, Wolfie. It's Bill. I'm at <coughs> Castle Black. Uh, things are kind of confusing here. Uh, we do – one thing we know for sure, we know, we know that climate change is real and that border walls do not work. You know, and that's pretty bleak. We got some news from the South tonight. Cersei Lannister is finished. You do not come back from sleeping with Euron Greyjoy. It's like it's obviously the first step in a fall. Once once you've slept with uh, Euron Greyjoy, you're not going to be the queen of the Seven Kingdoms. And the second thing in that endless rom-com to the South, uh, I'm kind of looking there at Winterfell. They've got every good person that was ever in Westeros, and they're all like in one room in one castle now. Uh, Tyrion and Lord Varys and Jon Snow and Sam Tarly and Danny and Jorah. And if it turns out that the Night Walker is just going to come in and just kill all of them, I'm going to be very angry. But it's looking more like uh, Danny and John are, uh, they have a lot of issues to sort out. It's too bad therapy had not yet been invented here. You got a lot of people with a lot of family issues running around in a very closed space. But overall, you know, you have to hope. I think Westeros and the city of Hartford should have the same, that Hartford uh, slogan, uh, first clouds, then sunshine. Is my mic on? Um, all right. So welcome to our Game of Thrones uh, episode of The Nose. As I was pointing out earlier today, I think The Nose and Game of Thrones are basically the same age. I think they both launched around maybe late 2011 or so. But we've never really devoted a, a full episode to, to it. So boy, are we doing it today. We have uh, an augmented panel. Uh, and we're going to go the whole show uh, talking about it. So let me tell you who's here, uh, gathered around the huge uh, table at Dragonstone uh, where, you know, we, we plot things. We should also say, if you don't watch Game of Thrones, you're probably not going to enjoy this all that much. Although, you know, we'll try to tell you some things to help you understand why people like it. If you're in some kind of thing like you're trying to avoid spoilers, go away. In fact, Bill Curry already just wrecked three things for you. So, <laughs> um, so go away. Because you're just going to get really really mad at me. All right, so sitting around the table right now, uh, Rebecca of House Castellani uh, is Director of Operations at We Save Music. Uh, Jacques of House Lamar uh, is a playwright and Director of Client Services at Buzz Engine. Uh, and uh, who else is at the table? Teresa of House Kramer uh, is a writer and uh, the editor of eContent Magazine. And then uh, coming in, uh, entering the fray, kind of like 
you know, the Knights of Vale or something at the Battle of the Bastards. Uh, they're going <laughs> to. Okay, that was a really geeky kind of reference, but um, uh, it will be Tanisha Dugan, a produ- producing associate at TheaterWorks, and uh, Jim of House Chapdelaine, uh, musician, producer, composer, and recording engineer. And I should say that on May 5th at 5 p.m., so so easy to remember, May 5th, 5 p.m., at Infinity Hall, uh, Jim is going to do one of his big mega concerts uh, to raise money for all kinds of really good causes. Uh, and uh, Big Al Anderson has now been added to the lineup, along with Mark Arelli and Tang Sauce and Christine Ullman uh, and and Winter Pills, not the Winter Pills, because they get really upset. They don't have anything to do with Winterfell either. Winter Pills uh, and a whole bunch of other artists, and it's really going to be fun. Nikita Waller, our uh, state troubadour, and uh, good things happen and it's only twenty dollars to go and you should I don't know what should they do how should they how should they get their tickets just show up just show up yeah show up with twenty dollars or go on the infinity hall website so you can order in advance we can get more snacks that way all right so it's time to get going here and I guess maybe well since we have the panel that we have around here there are so many distinguishing uh, characteristics of this series that make it I think pretty different from an awful lot of fantasy that you might run into elsewhere. Uh, And one of them kind of can be summed up with uh, uh, something that Aria Stark said very, very early in the season. Tomorrow, I'm going to be chasing cats. Cats? Serio says. He says every swordsman should study cats. They're as quiet as shadows and as light as feathers. You have to be quick to catch them. He's right about that. Now that Bran's awake, will he come live with us? Well, he needs to get his strength back first. He wants to be Knight of the King's Guard. He can't be one now, can he? No. But someday, he could be Lord of a Holdfast. He'll sit on the King's Council. Or he might raise castles, like Brandon the Builder. Can I be Lord of a Holdfast? <laughs> you will marry a High Lord and rule this castle. And your sons shall be knights and princes and lords. Mm-hmm. No. That's not me. So, Rebecca, we hear one of the many strong female characters in the series articulate her idea that she doesn't plan to uh, follow any kind of standardized role. Um, Arya is a little less typical of, uh, of some of the other women whom we see who, I mean, at least three characters that I can think of aspire to be the queen of the realm, and they're smart, uh, and they are, some of them are better at wielding power than not. But I don't know. Get us into this whole topic here. This is one of the distinguishing characteristics here. Sure. So Arya is probably the most extreme tomboyish example of this, but you absolutely see this sort of uh, resistance to the typical transaction of power in the women of Game of Thrones. You know, for so long, women have been kind of treated as a currency in Game of Thrones. Daughters are married off to form alliances, etc. And there's a paradigmatic shift that happens midway through the first season for Danny, who is one of our heroes. She has been married off to Cal Drogo, who is the leader of this, uh, this group called the Dothraki. It's very brutal and sort of animalistic, and she's 
brutally raped on her wedding night and is having this really miserable time. And a shift happens where she realizes that she actually has a lot of power in this dynamic. And she begins to rule alongside Drogo. Eventually, Drogo kicks it, and Danny becomes the leader of the Dothraki. That's just a very small example of a lot of these power plays that we see in Game of Thrones. Cersei Lannister is one of the smartest, most devious characters. She has ended up on the Iron Throne and is currently sitting on the Iron Throne despite having no real legitimate claim to the throne when we start in season one. Uh, Sansa Stark has gone from just being a little maiden that wants to play at being a princess to really being one of the main you know, movers and shakers in the political schemes in the North. So we're really seeing, you know, Game of Thrones version of feminism is derived from this traditional power structure where the women are actually becoming aware of their power and wielding it to some, you know, often productive end. Far better than the men, I might say. We should say that some of us are like a Game of Thrones 101. Rebecca's kind of a department chair of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Sorry. You got to reel me in here. She, she had to approve all of our schedules before we could go on the air today and stuff like that. So, so Jacques, yeah, I mean, I, you know, as we look around for hopeful figures, you know, a, a lot of times it is at least the ones who are in a position to claim power. Uh, it, it is the women, sometimes backed by shadowy male figures who, for various reasons, are probably not going to be able to wear the crown. But I don't know. What's your, how, do, how do you process all that? Uh, I mean, the the women represented in the series are pretty amazing, I think, across the board. And even secondary characters like... Um, is it Yara? Yara Greyjoy. Yara Brienne Greyjoy. Of Tarth. Brienne of Tarth. Um, even that young young girl uh, in the north. Oh, uh, Lady Mormont. Lady Mormont. Yeah, like, the little bear. Yeah, I mean, it's just they're they're imbued with such strength and they're formidable in so many ways. And uh, you know, and there there seems to be far more weaker men yes. in hmm. the series and the the strength of these women and their cunning and their. Uh, their knowledge of where they are in kind of the pecking order, but not being content to stay in those spaces, uh, I think is very exciting. So uh, now we have to get to a controversial question, but I happen to know Teresa's on my side about this one, so I kind of timed it this way. Yeah. So the, the the kind of the beating heart, uh, or this maybe the spine of the series, is the Stark family. Family. It's the, it's the uh, story initially of Ned Stark, the Potter Familius. He gets picked off pretty early. Then it's the story of the siblings. Not all of them have made it to season eight, uh, but it, it is. Uh, very much the story of this family and swirling around them all kinds of other characters. But um, but I think you and I agree that Stark men are kind of I mean stupid. I mean except for maybe Bran, who obviously I mean he's stupid. It or he's smart in a supernatural way, so it doesn't even count. Like right. it's not like he got this knowledge through his. And he's own also got really obnoxious. He's Somebody, become a stupid teenager. He's right. a, cr- a cr- creep. Somebody described yeah. him as your cousin who came home from college and now he's really into four chan or. Yeah. Ayn Rand or something. You, nobody can stand to be around him. Um, but, but I mean, in particular, Jon Snow, who's kind of emerged as one of the central figures of the show, mm-hmm. is, I think, frequently really stupid. I think I, the Stark men are really <laughs> naive. Like, it's not like that they're stupid as in, like, they can't read or, like, can't, like, add simple figures together or something like that. It's like they are so naive about how horrible the rest of the world is. And in Jon's case, you know, he's constantly doing dumb things, like taking people into dangerous situations for reasons that don't entirely make any sense and then having to get saved by the women in his life. He, you know, I mean, we're spoiler free or no, we're (laughs) spoiling everything. Sorry here. So, um, you know, the Battle of the Bastards is one of those things where he's like, we're just going to go in there and fight. And if it's not for (laughs) if it's not for Sansa getting help from the outside, 
John's dead again right now. After he's been carefully lectured by Sansa, among other people, of a don't take the emotional bait, which he does within two seconds. Exactly. And there's actually a scene in, late in season seven where John does something so colossally stupid that they act, we actually see Tyrion uh, mm-hmm. and Daenerys kind oh. of facepalm, you know, yeah. like, oh my God, <laughs> you just have this to do guy. that. And at a certain point, like, yes, I, I think Teresa's right they, that these Stark men, they're often kind of idealistic and they believe the best about things. But, you know, at a certain point, if you're not learning that you're surrounded by evil, manipulative, right. and like at one point, point, is John going to get it? Well, I think that the Stark boys in particular are really, really motivated by the example Eddard set, which mm-hmm. got Eddard killed. You know, Eddard is not able, he sees only the best in people, he functions only on this honor code. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this is not a world where honor means anything at all to the actual main power struggle. So mm-hmm. John and Rob, and Rob gets himself killed for this exact reason as well, is he, they make these emotional, honorable decisions. I can't lie. I can't go against my word. And when everybody else around you is lying and you've got these two idiots yeah. telling the <laughs> truth, it's like, you know, you guys, come on I now. Get with the program. Back. I want to be team John yeah. for a moment. Okay. Right. I know, like John too. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, he was not to the manor born. He, no. was, he was never anticipating to have this life. He does not know... You know his lineage, uh, which I he don't does know if now. We want, yeah, he does now, uh, and I don't know if we want to go into spoiler land with that. But uh, you know, to me, it's uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that in in him, and he's learning the ways as he goes. He was thrown into the deep end, mm-hmm. so I'm got, I'm cutting Jon Snow some slack. I think that how much of that is his hotness, though? Yeah, you know. One can't write that guy. off. <laughs> One can't write that off. But <laughs> because Teresa, that is part of it, right? These, these guys are particularly John Snow is like this, like hunky. Yeah, I mean, he he's dry. I saw a thing recently where they had like um, there was a different pilot for the show, apparently with all different people playing, and it looks so terrible. Bad. It looks so bad. Where you can't even I, imagine. I don't think Larry Storch could have really been this. No. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, so I know I've never seen that actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I I couldn't have told you. And who there's those like some average-looking dude playing Jon Snow because that's not going to work. I don't even yeah. think Jon Snow made the. Not even. It, it was I mean, like that's... a new, different Cersei, a different Jaime. Because that's part of it. It's like who would have thought in season one that he would be where he is now. Well, there's a lot of that. Things do change a lot. Speaking of things changing, I think it's time to do a line change. So clearly we can't we can't turn loose of Rebecca because she's like the dictionary now for the encyclopedia. So let's bring Tanisha and Jim Chapdelain in here uh, to grab these two seats. Well, Teresa and Jacques are coming back. So, you know, if, if, if you're like Team Jacques or Team Tanisha. So while they're doing this, while they're doing this. Well, you know, Tanisha brought up a really interesting thing as we were emailing around about this. Because I was talking about how there are in the background often these kind of very maimed people. People who are, you know, are, who are either injured or disfigured or in the case of Tyrion, he's born a dwarf. Um, and that they often are the people who have the strongest moral sensibilities. But I said, but they can't lead. And you called me on that. I thought you made a really interesting point. I, I, well, I was curious about what it means to lead because I think there is something really interesting both in Varys and in Tyrion. These people who are, are moving as invisible hands um, and sort of affecting this world in really uh, important ways. I mean, to me, Varys is like 
the central character of these worlds. He appears in every land. Nobody quite knows how he gets there as fast as he does, but he may, <laughs> manages to, to appear in every part of the realm. Um, and he, I think, is the keeper of who will ultimately land in, you know, as the as the heir to the Iron Throne. Um, and so I am curious about uh, our understanding of what leadership looks like um, and that so often it's the person in the front um, that sort of gets to be uh, crowned with that with that title. But uh, I think this show gives us an opportunity to look at, at, at levers and levies of power that are not as obvious as we may think. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, Jim, this is a series about people's blind spots. Everybody on this series has blind spots. Sometimes their blind spot is just they're evil incarnate and, you know, they can't even think of anything to, good to do ever. But there are a lot of well-meaning people who have blind spots. And I think she's making a great point. Varys is the one you can't really think of a, a part of this thing that he doesn't see pretty clearly. I, and I would maybe say the same thing is true about Tyrion, that he's – although we don't know yet – but those two seem to be influencers more than their influence. Their power is their influence, and and I think that speaks to the equation you're alluding to is that influence here eventually does become power. You know, Tyrion saves a lot of lives by telling her not to go kill and burn everybody by telling Daenerys, the dragon lady, not to go and ride your dragon yet. Eventually she does. So for you dragon fans, yeah, th- there's plenty could, of dragon that killing. Could be, that could be argued a different way. Actually, this will get us into a whole other topic. But uh, let's hear a little clip here where, uh, in fact, Tyrion and Daenerys are talking about a number of things, including the kind of advice he wants to give her. One could be forgiven for thinking you're taking your family's side in this debate. I am taking their side. You need to take your enemy's side if you're going to see things the way they do. And you need to see things the way they do if you're going to anticipate their actions, respond effectively and beat them. Which I want you to do very much because I believe in you and in the world you want to build. But the world you want to build doesn't get built all at once, probably not in a single lifetime. How do we ensure your vision endures? After you break the wheel, how do we make sure it stays broken? You want to know who sits on the Iron Throne after I'm dead? Is that it? You say you can't have children, but there are other ways of choosing a successor. The Night's Watch has one method. The Ironborn, for all their many flaws, have another. We will discuss the succession after I wear the crown. Your Grace, I saw hundreds of arrows fly towards you when you fought on the Blackwater Rush, and I saw hundreds of arrows miss, but any one of them could have found your heart and ended you. You've been thinking about my death quite a bit, haven't you? Is this one of the items you discussed with your brother in King's Landing? I'm trying to serve you by planning for the long term. Perhaps if you planned for the short term, we wouldn't have lost Dawn in Highgarden. We will discuss the succession after I wear the crown. So Tyrion's a little bit, she's actually tweaking him at the end about some bad advice that he gave her uh, or things that he didn't see, ways in which she feels he's failed her a little bit uh, as the hand. But he is bringing up a really interesting thing, Jim, which is, is there ever going to be anything other than this bloodline stuff that seems to dictate everything? I mean, you might have made an argument that there is until the last episode, right? So the last episode, we pivoted right back hardcore to bloodlines. I don't know how much we want to wreck this for everybody. 
Well, um, but no. I think I'm kind of wrecking it I now. Mean, we're in too yeah. deep at this yeah. point. <laughs> right. yeah. We can't yeah. we can't save the people who have Look, I yeah. got yelled at one time for spoiling um, uh, I can't even remember the f- film Easy Rider. I got yelled at for spoiling <laughs> oh, Easy I Rider, which came out like 40 years ago or something. So people get mad. So, yeah. You know. yeah. But there's, yeah. I mean, there's something also interesting about like short term and long term. I mean, just hearing that clip, I, I think about these characters and I think about the ones like Cersei for me, who is constantly, you know, making choices based on the short term. All of her plays are about the immediacy. How can she get the results right now? Um, and there's something really interesting about this series asking us for a world that we may not be able to experience, but trying to like serve and reach for that. Um, and we see in so many different spaces how characters do or don't. And Danny, I'm very interested to see where she lands at the end of this series because you know one of the reasons I liked her uh, was because she, like Tyrion she had this vision for a world that was better than what it is um, but I don't know if something broken and the world she wants to live in is one and the same uh, uh, and you she know, seems I, much I agree with that except I wouldn't sell Cersei short with her long term planning because we've seen her with her you know What's the, the green fire stuff? The green fire oh, yeah. stuff. You know, that's, yeah. She anticipated wildfire. things were going to go yeah, wildfire. That was like a, me- that was like yeah. a medium-term yeah. plan, actually. Yeah, yeah. I well, think of that as a country song, but sure. We're, we're going to do some little live pl- uh, pledge drive stuff here in just a second here. But I think, Rebecca, one thing that we see that makes Daenerys or the Khaleesi or whatever you want to call her really interesting is that she has a combination of that idealism, let's free all the slaves, let's have everybody live free, and an incredible tolerance for brutality. I mean, she's leading right now, you know, th- these Dothraki hordes who do nothing but uh, pillage and rape. And, and she, she's going to try to break them of that habit and, and also the, the Greyjoys uh, and the Iron Islands people of that habit. But also she, she vacillates between that and just busting out with a dragon flyer, fire and frying people. So if you really want to go deep, this whole story happens like oh, 200 years earlier in Westeros' history where Aegon the Conqueror, Daenerys' great-grandfather, comes and takes over all of the Iron Throne and all of that and creates the Iron Throne, unites all the Seven Kingdoms, but ultimately was a usurper in this land. And Daenerys is following the same pattern. And she also is the daughter of arguably the craziest Targaryen of them all, Aerys Targaryen, who almost burned down all of King's Landing. So Daenerys is trying to fight, I think, her most internal impulse to behave like a Targaryen and Tyrion is checking her on that and reminding her that, you know, there's been several characters that express they're worried she's going to turn into the Mad Queen. But her desire to do something different is only going to happen if she's got the right people around her pushing her towards that. Because as we've seen time and time again, she does sort of lean back into brutality when her back's against the wall. All right. So we're going to take a little very, very short break, you know, the little 90 second break, and then we're going to come back with more Game of Thrones. A
Hey, it's Kyone Wolf here with Betsy Kaplan taking a second out of your podcast. I know you thought you were totally off the hook from listening to the live fundraising, but we just want to take a second to say thanks for tuning in. And also, please help us keep this coming into your podcast feed. The number to call to be a member or renew your membership is 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. And you have lots of advantages listening to the show on podcast because we're only going to speak to you for about 20 (laughs) seconds, maybe 50 seconds, Mm -hmm. unlike five minutes. So reward us with the fact that we're speaking to you less time. We're taking less time out of your enjoyment of this great show that you're listening to. Give us some support to keep these shows going, no matter how you listen to them. 1-800-584-2788 or go online at WNPR.org. All right, we're back with our All Game of Thrones uh, news episode. What I want to talk about a little bit now is maybe get off the plot a little bit and talk about the phenomenon itself. When this thing started, I mean, you know, you could argue that Sean Bean and Peter Dinklage were somewhat known as actors, but mostly it was a cast of nobodies. Yes, some Diana Rigg and Ian McShane people have come along from time to time and the unforgettable Ed Sheeran cameo, of course. But you know, Jacques, as you looked at this, it just and the books were not famous the way Lord of the Rings was famous when those movies were made. You know, they were even though Rebecca had read them in three different languages by that <laughs> point. Um, the books were the original Elvish, right? So the books were just not that famous. I don't know. Do you have any sense of like? How, well, I mean, you work for Buzz Engine. I expect you to know. Um, like, how? Why did this become what it is? Uh, you know, I uh, I think one of one of the things that I adore about the series is the fact that they throw a lot of um, a lot of the narrative rules that we expect out of storytelling uh, out the window, and so you know, like there was no way at the end of Lord of the Rings that that ring wasn't going to go into the <laughs> into the fire Spoiler! and Frodo yeah sorry <laughs> you know and that Frodo was going to survive and what have you and and uh I think ultimately at the end of the fellowship like only one of them has died or something like that it's Sean Bean uh, every single time it's Sean, Sean Bean, Bean. <laughs> but I mean the thing is you know what series bumps off its main character within the first season. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it was the season finale. Was it like no. the second second, second to last? Finale. The penultimate, yeah. And so to me, that's one of the things that really kind of vaulted this thing up to must-see's status was the fact that you couldn't get attached to anybody and that any, you know, that you couldn't see these, you know, like the Red Wedding episode. You couldn't see these things coming, uh, I guess, maybe unless you read the books, which I hadn't. And so I think uh, – and then just the construction of the of the universe of the story and the I think the brilliant way during the opening credits where you see which lands you're going to visit. And uh, I just think that, that uh, the creation of these characters are so multidimensional. Um, I think that you get hooked. And, and in some ways, you know, it's similar – to uh, well, not in a, it doesn't sound like it, but Downton Abbey, hmm. um, where you just there's so many different characters, you know, uh, above <laughs> above stairs, below stairs, and uh, that you that you get deeply invested in, and then they kill them off right. randomly. <laughs> so I think there's that. Um, I, you know, another well, actually, since he talked about that, Teresa, yeah. another thing that strikes me about this series is it it is willing to take risks with its audience, and it's willing to hurt its audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons we let off the show with a voicemail from Bill Curry is, sometimes he calls me after he's seen the episode. <laughs> and after he's seen, after he saw The Red Wedding, I mean, you know, he was prostrate. He was not, you know, That's, he was in pain. It's interesting because it, it, 
Jacques mentions that the show is willing to bump off its main character, but I think it's actually been quite a while since they've killed someone we care about. Like, yeah, well, and maybe, but like I don't. Littlefinger, you know, was a major character. He's a major character, but you hate him and you want him to die, right? <laughs> yeah. Or is I, that just me? Because well, no, no, but I mean, the villain, you know, it'd be mm-hmm. like killing off Darth Vader and like. Empire Strikes Back. Well, I think the other thing that happens, and I was saying this to Irene last week, is she's she binged it all. And if you binge it all, you don't understand how long you have, have to wait, wait yep. for <laughs> Joffrey or Ramsay, yeah. these people that you cannot stand. Mm-hmm. You you want them dead right now. But it's years, right? right. We have to wait years for right. that kind of satisfaction. We're just tortured by Joffrey for years, <laughs> like poor Sansa. But I also think, you know, uh, Rebecca alluded this alluded to this in our emails that this show borrows from a lot of things that we already loved. And, you know, the creators saw in these stories all the things about the Lord of the Rings that made them so successful and the things from uh, Star Wars and all like they they might have taken a chance, especially with a bunch of no name actors and like such a huge sprawling story. But they, you know, I mean, in ways, this is a ripoff of Lord of the Rings. Like Samwell Tarly is Samwise Gamgee. Like, the, and there is no, <laughs> there's no getting around that. And there's the Dothraki and Elvish, and but, it, but in a completely new world in a new way. And so, like, it wasn't hard to predict. I don't think that this was going to become a huge thing if it was done right. Right. I, I mean, I, I wonder if, if when this this project was first conceived if it was conceived with the expansiveness that it kind of encompasses. Yes, the world as written is expansive, but like you said, the way in which they tell the story is expansive. I mean, truly, a full decade of exp- of life will have passed from the first episode of the show until the last. That is incredible. Most series go on hoping they'll get that, but not intentionally planning for that, right? And there's something, you know, this last season was what what 2 years from the from mm-hmm. the from the season before. I can't chalk that all up to the production values of the show. I think that is part and parcel of the planning of this of of knowing that if you keep your audiences on the edge of their seats and you ask them to really wait for what's to come, you create this rabidity that I mean, we're all here to yeah. talk about it on the backs of it. That to me is a, is what's fascinating about the phenomenon. And like, literally, I'm a h- different human being than I was, you know, when the show started up until today. <laughs> and so my experience of this story has shifted. My alliances and my allegiances have shifted as I have grown. And that is also fascinating. Yeah, you are now a trained assassin also. So it's It's like, you know, you change. So we have to do another line change. So let's bring in uh, Rebecca and Jim. Uh, Tanisha has to relinquish the Iron Throne. I don't know. One of you has to decide (laughs) to be gallant and let Jim on the air. Um, So while that's happening, I just want to say another thing that has not been all that well documented but has been watched carefully by me. A number of countries have actually been changed. I mean, Croatia is now a different place. They've actually had to restrict some of the tourism because so many people want to walk on one of the walls or something like that. Northern Ireland is in the process of changing radically because there's so much Game of Thrones tourism as a result of all the shooting there. And, and I, don't know what, yeah, I don't know what's happening with Iceland. but You can go uh, on the tours of where John and Egret got it on in Iceland. That's like a specific tour. Well, that leads me to an interesting question, too, or at least this is something I think which is an interesting, interesting question. Is, well, first of all, I mean, how, I, I'm going to start with you, Rebecca, because you brought it up. 
we know there's going to be spinoffs. We know this thing is a cash cow. We know AT&T has taken over HBO and they're probably not going to run it along the strict artistic visions of Richard Plepler, who, who left, I think, for that reason. Um, so I don't know. As a Game of Thrones aficionado, are you looking forward to the spinoffs and the prequels and the – uh, and the you know those sitcom about hot pies restaurant and uh, that and I would watch. Go. Okay. <laughs> that I would watch. I'm, I'm pitching them next week. So I mean, know. for someone that's been as invested in this world as I have been, I mean, I've been so many hours. I'll never get back of my life. I've spent on Reddit. I mean, it's it's quite shameful if you really get down to it. And I'm, I feel very fatigued now. Like I'm really ready to say goodbye to this world. I'm sure I will tune in and watch all of this stuff. Part of the reason George R. R. Martin hasn't finished the books is because he's been writing all of these spinoff books, all of the supportive text. And it's some fascinating work. I just, it's going to have to be really well done and very different to the format of this show. Otherwise, I think you will see, you know, people that are frustrated with the sort of the same old, same old, the same sort of conquests and betrayals. And it, they're going to have to inject some new life into it, especially if they're moving backwards in time, which is what I believe the plan is to do. Yep. If they're going backwards, not forwards. So, you know, a lot of fans already know sort of the history of what's happened. There's only so much that they can draw from. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I know Naomi Watts is helming it and she's... Quite good, but right. we'll see. Starting to talk so show busy too, helming and stuff like that. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, one thing that I wanted to bring up, it came up on on Facebook, and I think it's sort of a good point. So you know, as Rebecca was just suggesting, the series has now outstripped the work of. Uh, of George R.R. R. Martin, the two creators now, sometimes they have to go back to George R.R. R. Martin and go, what were you going to do with Hodor? Really? <sighs> you were going to do that with Hodor? Wow. I, we never wouldn't have guessed that in a million years and then they have to write it. But Jim, some people are saying, you know, the writing isn't quite as good now that they're, they don't have him to rely on. And there was this sense of the first episode of the season that started last week that it was kind of this weird kind of date night, you know. I mean, Cersei and Euron had a date, and John and uh, Danny had a drag. Table setting. They had a dragon date, and you know, and and there was kind of clunky dialogue, like you know, it's sort of rather cold up here for a southern girl like you. Ugh, well, yeah. keep your Gross. queen warm, you know. I mean, uh, and, and I'm Colin wondering is doing that. one of the female leads right now. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm, I'm wondering about that. You know, is, is this? I don't because I think we've been off the charts now for yeah, at least two seasons, yeah. and they're John perfectly satisfied. John is still satisfying. dead in the books. John is like that's how yeah, far John, off yeah, we're a, like a lot of four yeah. <laughs> Everyone's dead in the yeah. books. The last book is just a blank journal that you can <laughs> write right. in. That's right. <laughs> just, so, um, so no, I, I, I'm not. You know, I know there's the book cult of book people like that have their own subreddit and. and and the disparities are unsettling for Those them. Those are the ones that are still on 4chan. Right. And, and I don't care about that. Yeah. I'm just, I just really like this. In fact, one of the things uh, Jock was talking about, the quality of this show. And we haven't talked about just the production value mm-hmm. of it. It's like a 70-hour big-budget movie. So as HBO uh, – as the viewership increased – their budget increased. And rather than pocket the money, they spent the money on production. So everything got bigger and badder. So I read about just a mix of an episode, just audio mix of this. For each character you see, there's a fabric actor. So every time their shirt hits, they, there's somebody with the right fabric making the shirt noise. What? And there's a weapons actor that does the unsheathing of the sword, the clanging. And so they don't, those aren't just like library sound effects. There's like three actors behind every actor wow. making all the sounds, you know. Ooh, another, ah. qu- another question that I have coming out of this, Jacques, is, okay, so there were a bunch of people who we kind of knew who they were. But most of these people we don't 
we, don't, we didn't know them coming in. And it's clear now already that Amelia Clark is going to have uh, a career. She start, she's already done, starting to do a lot of other stuff. I'm wondering how many of these people, and, and uh, Ygritte is now in the new Christine Baranski thing, The, the Good, good Fight. fight which yeah. is great. So, um, but I'm sort of wondering, like, you know, I mean, if you're Jon Snow, are you going to be able to do anything else without people looking at you going, well, it's Jon Snow? Well, you know, I, I went to um, went to the movies and saw the trailer for Dark Phoenix, and Sophie Turner was is the lead in that, and you know, of course, She's I was Sansa for those of you. Yeah, I was like, it's Sansa, you know, but I mean, I was like, you know, that's that's pretty cool that she's stepping up from. I mean, it's weird to say stepping up from like one of the greatest TV series of all time, stepping, uh, stepping out uh, to this big screen role, and I think, um, I think it's going to follow any of them. Uh, you know, even people like Peter Dinklage, who had an established career mm-hmm. beforehand, is you know is forever going to be Tyrion Lannister. Meanwhile, I, the poor kid that played Joffrey has retired from acting because he has <laughs> dealt with too much vitriol <laughs> surrounding his character. Well, there are a lot of people who cannot separate acting from reality, and you sort of wonder about Joffrey and Ramsay and those actors. And all right, so what we have to do now is we have to take a break now, so we can do endorsements. That's what we have to do. The clock is all kind of different today. So we'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll make some endorsements. And then we'll raise a little bit more money. And so we spoke. And so we spoke. That Lord cast me But now the rains we bore is home with no one there to hear. All right, so um, I should say that although you heard Kion Wolf's voice uh, during one of the breaks, she's not here today. All kinds of people aren't here today. So uh, first of all, Jay Holt uh, is the main producer of this show. He's been doing some guest producing for us, and we're excited about that. Senior producer Betsy Kaplan is stepped uh, in in some important way. And we also have, and this sort of is like having a radio Khaleesi involved, we've got Katie Tularski, uh, who is like, Queen of Westeros or something. But uh, anyway, she's also helping out run the show today. So uh, thanks to all those people. Now it's time to make uh, a few endorsements. So we'll start over here with Rebecca. So, of course, mine are both Game of Thrones related. Surprise, surprise. Good. Uh, the first one is just a general endorsement of Raman Jawadi's soundtracking for uh, this show. He's done an incredible job capturing the pathos of this show. Um, some beautiful music just to listen to, even if you have no context of Game of Thrones or no interest. And the second one is if you want to spend hours wasting your time like I do uh, on this world, there is a really excellent animated uh, little vignette. It's about an hour long that came out on the season seven DVD. It's now on YouTube called Conquest and Rebellion, and it goes through all the back history of Westeros. Um, It's narrated by a bunch of the voice actors on the show. So if you're looking to really do a deep dive into Westeros, you can just YouTube it, Conquest and Rebellion, and it's all animated. It's very cool. All right. Uh, so she's going to get up and give her place away. Jacques, what are you uh, endorsing? Uh, the House of Homosexual is endorsing two very gay <laughs> things to do. Uh, the first is um, go see Dream Girls at Cheney Hall in Manchester. Little Theater Manchester is producing it. And it's really rare that a community theater is uh, is doing such a um, important show for African-American artists and audiences. And so uh, I would definitely recommend going to see Dream Girls. Uh, and then the other thing is Madonna dropped a new single. First time <laughs> in four years. Uh, someone stole her thunder. I won't mention who. Uh, but I will. <laughs> yes. But uh, the song is called Medellin, and it's with um, 
a Colombian rapper named Maluma, and it's I I think probably not going to get played much on the radio, but it feels like a summer song to me. All right, so good endorsements. Give up your place to Teresa, and meanwhile, Jim, do your endorsement. Uh, very quickly, mine uh, on Netflix. I really like this little uh, comedy special by a comedian named May Martin, a Canadian who moved to England and uh, became uh, just, just seems whacked, but she's very very funny. And uh, it's not appropriate for the whole family, although my <laughs> whole family watched it. Um, also, there's a show called Patriot uh, that I'm kind of getting into. And lastly, back to Game of Thrones, uh, sometimes we have to suspend our disbelief. You know, dragons, time travel, magic. For me, it's please wear a hat when you go beyond the wall. Wear a hat. Wear a hat. That's all yeah. I have to say. All right. So uh, now we go back over here to Tanisha. So we'll keep on the Netflix train uh, and we'll endorse Beyonce's homecoming. Not that she needs it because everyone's going to watch it anyway. But she did step on Madonna's thunder. And so, you know, check out Madonna's song, but also check out Beyonce. And also, RIP to Cooking Light, one of my favorite (laughs) magazines. But they've combined with Eating Well. And Eating Well has a really good article about um, toasts, like different kinds of toasts. And it was just perfect for me because although I love an avocado toast, it was nice to get some like new Well, what thoughts. would be an example of a different kind of toast? Well, you know, they weren't being sort of, you know, it's not cutting edge stuff here, okay? But, you know, a little mascarpone and, you know, berries kind of hang. Go out on a limb here and say hummus toast. Exactly. You know, that, a little cream favorite. cheese Whoa. and like mm-hmm. lox with a little everything bagel seasonings, which you can get at Penzi's, which is really good. So, you know, just a bagel. check out Eating Well. <laughs> All right. So uh, and now, Teresa, Uh, I'm going to go over to Instagram to endorse something and um, and harken back to the Kim Kardashian mention. Uh, There's a comedian named Kyle Dunnigan who makes these face swap videos on Instagram. And there's one where Kim Kardashian is attempting to get into the White House and fighting with Donald Trump about it. And she can't figure out how to use the door. And I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my life. So check out Kyle Dunnigan. You know, we the other thing we've never done, (laughs) we've never done a a nose episode about the Kardashians. Where like we've watched. <laughs> should, uh, should we do that? Yeah. Just to make NPR listeners Obviously. both annoyed and, you know, current. I mean, I don't really know anything. I would have to watch. I, I, I would need an on ramp here. I don't yes. have any Kardashian, Kardashian we'll have a sleepover uh, chops and at all. I'll binge it. Totally all right. Show our parent protected. Yeah. So I'm going to endorse, I'm going to re endorse two things that were endorsed by nose panelists. The first one is last week, I don't know, whenever it was, Rebecca endorsed the book Station Eleven by. Uh, uh, Emily uh, St. John Mandel. And now that's a book that I've had and like moved to various piles and then put up. A, you know, like I, it's been, I've been moving it around my house for two years. And, and I knew I wanted to read it too. And so I took it down on Saturday at four o'clock in the afternoon and finished it at Sunday at 3 p.m. and kind of didn't really do too much else besides read it. I mean, it is that spellbinding. This is a book that uh, posits a terrible pandemic and then a small group of survivors and some of whom are very dedicated to traveling around playing symphonic music and performing Shakespeare. Uh, But it is, I I really just, you know, once I started it, there was no possibility. I wasn't going to finish it in roughly 24 hours. 
So that's number one. Uh, Monday, uh, I was running around Hartford uh, in the, and it started raining. I was going to eat at a food truck because I didn't have to do a show on Monday. And I was going to eat at a food truck in the park. And there weren't any food trucks because it was raining. So I wound up at El Pollo Guapo, which Rand Cooper had uh, had endorsed, I think, also last week. Boy, it's really good. It's down on Front Street. Uh, and you can get kind of a cheap lunch there. And it's like, you know, um, t- chicken tacos and really good uh, well, it's, it's it's nice. Go to El Pollo. It's a counter service too. You go up and you order, but it's a nice environment, and you can people watch and stuff. So El Pollo Guapo. Okay, so those are all. Has everybody endorsed? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody has endorsed now. Okay, so um, I think we have to sort of uh, once again talk about getting people to pledge. And so Teresa, you haven't had a chance to do this yet. Let me just uh, set you up by giving out the number one eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight. We decided just not to break up the show today with throw into a booth or anything like that. That. We we just would keep the nose panelists in here. Oh, we're going to get Jacques fundraising too. Uh, keep the nose panelists in here and let them talk a little bit about you know what the station and what the shows mean to them. So the number is one eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight. And if you want to get one of the thank you gifts, yeah, you can ask for the Mother's Day flowers or the NPR socks or the digital subscriptions to the New York Times or Washington Post uh, or Kion Wolf's voice on your voicemail greeting and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, here's some reasons why maybe you should think about doing. That Teresa Kramer, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on guilt here because you're <laughs> obviously listening, and um, I'm sitting here in this studio helping create content, and I am still a monthly supporter mm. of WNPR. I got a book out of the deal. It's about gardening. I probably have never actually looked at it, but that's fine. <laughs> and and I'll just point out that you also get access to CPTV online and you get all sorts of streaming content, I believe, when you're a monthly supporter. So you should go out and do that right now. Oh, that's yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. All right, Jacques, uh, work your magic. Well, uh, every day my husband gets up and first thing in the morning is he turns on WNPR and it's therefore become a part of my morning. And he listens to it nonstop in the car. I don't I probably listens to it at work, listens to it on the way home. It truly structures his day. And he is so much more informed about life than me as a result. And when I turn on uh, the news um, on WNPR, I learn about all corners of the globe. It's not just what's happening in Washington. And to me, it's made me more of a global citizen. And so I think supporting um, WMPR allows you to uh, support being a part of this world. It's a, it's a great pitch, too. Uh, I'm, before we go back to Tanisha, I'm going to jump in with a number again. 1-800-584-2788. 1-800-584-2788. It's just a lucky thing. But today, we actually, the phone banks are being manned by people from Westeros. They're not famous people. <laughs> uh, and they may not understand certain terms that you use. So, uh, and there are probably some terms that you shouldn't use, too. All right. We um, just lost Rebecca. Right. Okay. So, uh, but anyway, be nice when they answer the phone. Also, you can give online at W. WNPR.org. You know, one thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about uh, how the men are kind of stupid on Game of Thrones <laughs> is that probably the biggest catchphrase, I mean, there's Winter is Coming and there's Mother of Dragons, but you know nothing, Jon Snow, may be the biggest catchphrase to come out of this. <laughs> it which, is. Which should tell you something. Anyway, make a, make a little uh, Well, I was picture. just going to say it's really easy to give. You know, like you can do it on the phone, you can do it online, you can be a monthly sustainer, you can do one big gigantic gift. I mean, you're giving, give, it's good to do. 
I like guilt. Yeah. I'm on the mom thing, you know. Keep the guilt. And if you, you know? like hearing regular folks like us on the radio, you have to keep supporting it. Yeah. Like, if you just want to hear your neighbor on WNPR, you have to support specifically this show. All right. And uh, I, I do want to say, yeah, if you like, also, if you like the way that we're doing the fundraising right now, I mean, we're trying to vary it a little bit. John and I did a similar thing on the Wheelhouse on Wednesday where we just pitched during the show. We're trying to change this up in different ways because we know sometimes people get a feel a little bit worn down uh, by the pledge drives. So if you like the way we're doing it now, not throwing to a couple of people in a booth somewhere, uh, please call 1-800-584-2788. 1-800-584-2788. Because you'll also be endorsing what we just did, which is uh, let some of the characters that you know uh, from the nose talk about why you should Boy, support public characters. radio. And they are characters. <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, if we could broadcast to you the conversations during the breaks or before we go on the air or after we get off the air, we would lose our broadcasting license. But anyway, um, <laughs> thanks to everybody uh, who uh, joined us today. Uh, Teresa, Jacques, Tanisha, Jim, Rebecca. Did I get everybody? Uh, thanks. Thank you. Uh, you're all great. And thanks for listening. This is Connecticut Public